This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Daniel chapter 3 will uh, provide the foundation for our thoughts. And uh, today we want to just talk about the question, can your faith survive the fire? And when I say fire, I'm not necessarily referring to a literal fire, even though our lesson will reference that. But can your faith survive the fire of tough times? Maybe a loved one is suddenly taken from you or, or the dreaded disease of cancer invades your home or maybe you find out that your spouse has been unfaithful to you or the coronavirus strips you of your savings or your comfort or your normalcy. Can your faith survive the fire? Well, today we will study three men, and, and, and if you grew up in church, you learned their names very early in life, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All of them went through a very hot fire, and all of them survived. Now, during the time period of our lesson in the Old Testament, King Jehoiakim was the king of Judah. In the third year of his reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came and attacked the nation of Judah. The attack was different than typical military campaigns in the Old Testament. Many times military campaigns, uh, it it involved annihilation. That They just came and and basically uh, completely took out uh, the livestock and the people. But, But King Nebuchadnezzar didn't have that strategy. He said, do a search throughout the land. Look for the best of the best, the cream of the crop. The the smartest, the best educated, those of noble birth. And the Bible even says, the best looking. And and the Babylonians captured them, took them to Babylon, thinking that if they could reprogram them or or, or brainwash these leaders, that would, in essence, guarantee that the nation of Judah would never, ever be a major force again. And they had a multi-pronged approach to this effort. The first thing they did was to change their names. Now, we know them best after their names were changed to Babylonian names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but, but these were not their birth names. That their, uh, that their birth names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And it's interesting, but these names all had reference back to God Jehovah, the true God. But because the Babylonians wanted to change their spiritual identity, they gave them the Babylonian names of what you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which incidentally all made reference, had reference to their gods, to their idols. Some other elements of the brainwashing included teaching them about religion, as well as teaching them the Babylonian language. And so this was all part of the process to to reprogram the best of the best in the country of Judah, thinking that this one, in essence, in the cultural and religious identity of God's people. So let's begin reading about these three men who survived the fire. Daniel chapter 3 verse 1 reads like this, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, note the size of the golden statue. It was 90 feet tall, which would be approximately the, uh, the equivalent of a nine-story building. Now, of course, in our small town, and I know those of you that are listening in, in cities, you'll kind of laugh at us. 
But in our town, we don't have a nine-story building. We, I, I think downtown we've got a three-story building that's abandoned. Um, but, but try to imagine, for those of us in El Dorado Springs, a golden statue that was 90 feet tall, nine stories tall, and nine feet wide. Now, th- this is uh, speculation. Uh, there's nothing in, in Scripture that indicates this. But, but perhaps they say that Nebuchadnezzar was a small man in stature because or, or vertically challenged, I guess, is the way we're supposed to say it today. Or, or at least uh, he was more than likely super insecure. And the reason some people have suggested this is because many times people who do things like build statues for themselves are insecure, and they try to compensate by promoting themselves. You, you know the saying, at least in, in our part of, of, of the country, big truck, little man. Maybe big statue, little man. Who knows? Again, just speculation. Let's keep on reading verse 5. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, and, and it mentions six different instruments, and, and, and it goes on and says, and other instruments. So there must have been some kind of band that played at certain times of the day. So when those instruments played, it says, they were to bow down to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, it's interesting that the word worship keeps popping up. In fact, I, I, I personally counted nine different times that the word worship is used in the first 15 verses of Daniel chapter 3, and never once is it really worship towards God Jehovah. It is in reference of falling down and worshiping King Nebuchadnezzar, which pretty much indicates how highly Nebuchadnezzar thought of himself. So what happened? Verse 7, all the peoples, nations, men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So, so scripture tells us that people from all the surrounding areas, even different ethnic groups, and at, time, at this time the Babylonians had conquered all the surrounding nations, and so some had different languages, there were different ethnic groups, and, and so even all of these, they bowed down to this statue That is with three exceptions. Verse 12. But there are some Jews whom you've set over affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach. So evidently they had a little bit of leadership position there in Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. Well, when King Nebuchadnezzar found out about this blatant disrespect towards him, he became not just a little bit upset. The Bible says that he became furious with rage. And so he called these three men into his office. Listen to their conversation. Verse 15, I will give you one more chance kind of like what we say to our kids or grandkids. One more chance. If you bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments, all will be well. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. What God will be able to rescue you from my power then? Now, 
Before we continue reading our account, here's a key thought. Different people have said it in different variations, uh, ways here. But one person said it this way. A faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. A faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. So wherever you are, there in your house, on the count of three, let's all say that together, okay? One, two, three. A faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. And that right there is why many times God allows bad things to happen to His children. God's not wanting to be mean. He's not wanting to pick on us. But He knows that unless we are tested, then our faith won't be able to handle the fire or the disappointments or the heartaches of life. And so maybe a question that we should ask ourselves is this. Can our faith handle disappointments? Can our faith handle the disappointment of unanswered prayer? Or, here's a tough one, can our faith handle the fire of a fallen Christian leader? How many people have lost their faith when Christian leaders fell and and in their disappointment, they left the church, they left the faith and said, well, all pastors are hypocrites, or all church board members are hypocrites, or all church members are hypocrites, and I won't ever trust anyone in the church again. And can your faith handle the disappointment of a fallen leader? Can your or, or our faith handle the loss of our possessions or the loss of our health? Or the tragic loss of someone we love. Can our faith handle losing a child to an early death? Can our faith handle when someone that you go to church with does you dirty? Can our faith handle that? Now, as we look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, most scholars believe they were fairly young men. Some say as young as 16, 17. More than likely, they were in their early 20s. And these young men, even though they were serving God, Jehovah, yet like all of us, even though they were ready to go, they didn't want to die yet. But all of a sudden, they're faced with a life and death decision. Do they bow down to this 90-foot image like everyone else was doing and live to see another day? Or, or do they refuse to bow down and know that the game will be over? And game over means dead. And dead means barbecued, cremated, toast. And since I'm full of questions today, another question I want to ask each of us, or have each of us ask ourselves is this. If you would have been, I mean you, if you would have been one of those three young men, would you have bowed down? Now, now before you quickly say, well, well, of course I wouldn't have bowed down. I'm a Christian. And, you know, before you spout off how committed you are to the Lord, let me help you sort through whether or not you would have bowed down. Are you ready for this? If you're too embarrassed to bow your head before a meal and pray at a restaurant, or in the break room at work, or at school, if you're too embarrassed to do that, you would have probably bowed down. 
If you at work as, as a Christian just try to fly under the radar so that no one makes fun of you for being a holy roller or whatever, you would have probably bowed down. If you're too embarrassed to pray out loud at home, and a lot of parents and, and men, especially men, why is it that we are so embarrassed to pray out loud? And so there, there have been men that have told me, you know what, I, I'm too embarrassed to pray in front of my family, and so I have my child always pray the blessing before the meal. If, if that's you, you would have probably bowed down to that image. Or how about this one? I've had people say, well, Pastor, I would love to you know, raise my hand in, in, in worship at the church, but, but I'm too afraid of what people might say. If that's you, you would have probably bowed down. If you're afraid to tell people that, that, that Christ has saved you and changed you, you would have probably bowed down to Nebuchadnezzar's image. This past week, I, I spent some time thinking about this. Not, not for you, but I was, I was worried about myself. I was trying to sort through whether or not I would have bowed down. And, and, and let me tell you what came to my mind, and I think this will probably speak to some of you as well. It, it came to my mind that, you know, I'm really good about this. I'm, I'm good at justifying and rationalizing things. And, and, and I think I would have probably just um, come up with a bunch of reasons to justify why in this situation it would have been okay to bow down to this image. Here, here's the first one. I thought of, I might have said, God, I'll just do it right now while they're watching and they're really monitoring the situation because, I mean, if I don't, I'll be killed and you've called me to make a difference here in Babylon. And uh, you want me to help introduce these pagans to you and, and God, if I'm dead, how can I make a difference? Here's the second rationalization that came to mind. God, I, I'm going to bow down on my knees to this idol, but, but my worship in my heart will be going up to you. And really, God, you, you yourself said that it's not what's on the outside that's important, it's what's on the inside. So, so I'm going to bow down on the outside, but on the inside, I'm going to be worshiping you. Can I... Can I help you walk through how ignorant that one is? Um, I, I've used a similar illustration before, but let's just say that my wife catches me with my arms around another woman. And my wife has some Irish blood in her. And as she sees me, her blood begins to boil, and, and it should. And, and you know, I, I'm in big trouble, and I try to calm her down. And I, and I say, hon, this is not what it really looks like. Um, yes, I had my hands on her, but my mind was really on you. How, how do you think she would react to that? Would she buy into that theory? And, and guys, I don't know, maybe your wife would, would be okay with that. I don't think my wife would be, and, and she shouldn't be. And, and when we say stuff like that, well, well, God, I'm bowing down to this idol on the outside and, you know, just trying to fly under the radar, but on the inside, I'm worshiping you. Please know that. I don't think God will buy that either. Another rationalization that came to my mind was, you know, God, this is just the way that our society is going. You know, I don't like some of the stuff they're doing and I don't agree with it, but, 
you know, well, that's just the way it is. You know, we live in this day and age, and so you either have to go with it or you're going to be ostracized, you're going to be made fun of, and, and so we really don't have a choice. And I'm sorry, again, inside I'll be worshiping you, but, you know, it's just kind of the way that we've got to respond these days. Uh, unfortunately, many of us would have rationalized it and, and convinced ourselves that it was okay to bow down. And and the problem with this is when we bow down once and when we rationalize it once, we will probably do it a second time and then a third time. And and before long, these rationalizations will become part of our lives. And they will have turned into a life of compromise. Now, there are many lessons we can learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But let me give you three statements that I hope will stick in our minds. First, when we go through the fire, we should always Put God's commands over man's commands. Look at the scripture here in, in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. That they knew God's command of, of not worshiping an image. And, and so they didn't have to say, O, o king, uh, could you give us some time to think about this and pray about this and, and maybe get a pen and, and, and paper and write down the pros and the cons? They didn't need to do that. They knew God's commands. And so they said, you know, we don't mean any disrespect here, but we really don't even need to take time to defend ourselves before you because we know what our God has commanded us. And let, let me just say this. Uh, if you're like what I, Faith and I do at times, uh, we, we look at the logic. When we're trying to make a decision, we'll sometimes look at the pros and cons. And there's nothing wrong with that if you seek God's will alongside of those pros and cons. You know, a decision based solely on logic or, or pros and cons is not always God's will. God's will at times is illogical. Did you know it was illogical for David to go out and fight the giant? It was illogical for Gideon to take 300 men and go up against an army of 135,000 soldiers that were well-equipped and well-trained? Illogical. It was illogical for Noah to build a big boat when it had never rained before. And yes, there's a place for common sense, and we probably need a little bit more of that too. Uh, there's, a, there's a place for pros and cons, yet God's will and God's commands do not always take us down the path of logic. And so again, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, King, again, no disrespect to you. We're not going to debate you on this. We know God's commands. We don't need to spend time praying for wisdom and direction. God's commands are clear to us. We're not going to bow down. So when it involves God's commands, you don't need pros, you don't need cons, you don't even need to pray for wisdom, you can pray that God would give you courage to do what is right, pray that God would direct the outcome, but you don't need to pray for direction when God has given a clear command. Secondly, when our faith is tested by fire, respect the facts but trust God's truth. Now, now track with me here. Verse 17, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us, 
He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Now, notice what they said. They said the God whom we serve, present tense. Not the God that our country was founded on. You know, sometimes here in America, that's what we do. It's, hey, well, you know what? Our country was founded on this, and that's okay. But, but they said the God whom we serve, the God that we're in fellowship with right now, the God whom we know firsthand is able to do what? Is able to rescue us. And right there, that is the difference between respecting the facts versus trusting God's truth. What were the facts? The king said, bow down. That was a fact. They didn't do it, so the king became angry. Fact. The king was building a big bonfire. Fact. The fire was hot. Fact. Hot fires kill people. Fact. The king was about to throw them into the hot fire. Fact. But listen, our God will deliver us. That's God's truth. How does this play out in other scriptures? Fact, it's humanly impossible to walk on water. The truth is Jesus did it. And so did Peter under the power of Jesus. Fact, when you're dead, you stay dead. Truth, Jesus didn't stay dead. And when he spoke to other dead people, they didn't stay dead either. Fact, you may be in financial trouble. Truth, if Jesus provides for the sparrows, he will provide for you. Fact, your marriage may be in big trouble. Truth, God is a God of restoration. Fact, you're facing an impossible situation. Truth, all things are possible with God. Fact, if you're like me, you failed God over and over and over again. Truth, his arms are wide open, ready to forgive you and receive you right now. Fact, we're in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic. Truth, God is working in all things to bring about good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Fact, cats can look so cute and cuddly. Truth, they can be carriers of the coronavirus. In time, as I spent time in prayer this week, I just felt like I should reveal that to you. Okay, maybe not. Distinguish between facts and God's truth. We respect the facts, but we believe the truth. And just quickly, when it comes to the coronavirus, we respect the facts. It's highly contagious, fact. It has killed over 50,000 in our country alone. Fact. It has killed over 200,000 people worldwide. Fact. It's devastated our economy. Fact. Many people have lost their jobs. Fact. 
But God's truth is that just as God was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so will he be with you. Number three, and this is a biggie. I pray that God would just drive this home to our hearts. Don't just believe in God. Follow Him. You know, most all of us believe in God. In fact, a, a Gallup poll said that 9 out of 10 Americans believe in, in God, and most of us grew up going to church believing in God. We, we knew the routine. We, we knew to sing verses 1, 2, and 4 in the hymnal. I don't know why we always skip three. We believe in God. But believing in God doesn't win you a prize. Scripture says that even the demons believe in God. What God's, God wants is followers, not just believers. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they did more than just believe in, in God, Jehovah. They followed him to the point of putting it all on the line. They said, uh, again, rereading part of verse 17, if we're thrown in the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But then notice this, but even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. This is a no matter what faith. They would not bow down, no matter what. Live or die, no matter what. They would not bow down. How about us? If we lose our job, will we still follow God no matter what? If our prayers for our kids are not answered right away, will we still follow God no matter what? If someone in church hurts our feelings, will we still be faithful to follow God no matter what? You know, the problem is that the, the moment something happens, maybe someone from the church is not nice to them, or the pastor does something or says something that hurts their feelings, or, or the moment we lose someone dear from our lives, or the moment that a, a, a contagious virus strips us of our comfortable life, here's what happens. We become angry. We allow bitterness to come into our lives. We begin to wallow in self-pity and despair, we become full of resentment. And, and we say, well, you know, if God were a loving God, He wouldn't do those things. L listen, whenever we take on that attitude, we're just believing in God, but really not following God. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we believe in God, we believe He can and will save us from the fire, but if He doesn't, you need to know this, we will worship Him no matter what. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar said, have it your way, boys. And he turned to his servants and says, guys, turn the fire out. Heat the furnace seven times hotter. Get the strongest guards. Tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when that furnace becomes a raging inferno, take those three insubordinate boys and light them up. Let's watch them become human torches. And of course, the Bible says that the heat was so intense that it killed the guards who threw the three men in. 
But what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you, you know the account. But it's fun to review it. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered the, and said to the king, uh, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now in the fire, can you imagine the conversation that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego might have had? Maybe they said, hey, hey, do, do you feel the heat? No. Well, how about you? Well, me neither. I'm actually pretty comfortable. Maybe about that time, Shadrach looks out and sees a look of shock on Nebuchadnezzar's face and, and says, look at Nebuchadnezzar. He looks so confused. What's going on? And, and maybe they looked around and about that time, they get confused on how many were thrown into the fire, and they start counting. One, two, th three, four. Hmm. One, two, three, four. And then their spiritual eyes were opened, and they saw the fourth was Jesus, the Son of God. Listen to this statement, and we don't like this, but you may never really get to know the Son of God. You may never really get to know Jesus in an intimate way until you are in the middle of the fire. So what happened? Nebuchadnezzar shouted for them to come out of the fire and and then in verse 27, the princes, the prefects, the governors, advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. Listen, they didn't even smell of smoke. Now, that right there is just so in incredible to me because I burned a big brush pile at my farm a week and a half ago. And um, I don't know how many different trees and cedar trees we had kind of piled up there and and um, so as the fire burned down a little bit, I, I, ha I was on my skid steer, and, and I would just push the, the logs up closer to the fire, and, and at times I would be surrounded by, by smoke and, and, and floating embers, and I'm kind of a risk taker, and so I was getting up really close to the fire, and, and I, I went home, seriously, I went home with holes in my clothes uh, from the floating embers, and I, um, my, my face was black from the smoke, and... Uh, you know, I, I, I just had a terrible, terrible smell of smoke, and I immediately jumped in the shower, but I, I think I got the smell of smoke on the inside of my body. I don't know if that, that's even possible or not, because I, I, I think I smell like smoke for the next three days, but they were in the fire, not around the fire, in the fire. Their clothes were not singed. Eyebrows were not singed. I've been close enough to a fire where my eyebrows were singed, Um didn't smell like smoke. Verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, <coughs> praise, <coughs> praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command 
and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. So listen to these miracles. Not one hair was singed. Miracle. Their clothes were not scorched. Miracle. They didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. Miracle. An An amazing example of how God delivered them from the fire. But before we wrap things up, let me say a couple more things here. I feel I wouldn't be preaching the complete truth if if I didn't say this. In this situation, God delivered them from the fire. But God doesn't always work that way. We may be delivered from the fire. Did you hear me? We may be delivered from the fire. But then God at times delivers us through the fire. God doesn't always deliver us from every trial. It wouldn't be healthy for us. And and so sometimes God doesn't deliver us from the fire. He gives us the grace to go through the fire. And in the process, he's refining our faith. The Apostle Paul prayed three times or probably during three seasons for deliverance from from a particular thorn in the flesh, but God said, I won't deliver you from it. I'll deliver you through it and give you grace. And he was refining him. But then thirdly, God sometimes delivers us by the fire. And and Beth Moore gave an incredible study on this and she had some insight that I'm just borrowing from her, but sometimes God delivers us by the fire. In other words, there are times that cancer does take our loved one. There are times when tragic accidents take place and a a child is taken, husband or wife is taken. That there There are those times when a tragedy will take the life of a child of God. And, and when that happens, God is delivering us by the fire. And at that time, our, our faith becomes perfected and because we receive a glorified body and, and live in a place where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow. That's our ultimate goal. So don't ever forget that God doesn't always deliver us from the fire. He may but he may deliver us through the fire. We may have to go through some difficult times or he may deliver us by the fire. We'll receive our new glorified body. But in any case, God will walk with us. He will never leave us alone. Now, as we wrap things up this morning, I want to summarize what I've tried to say in just some concise statements and When I uh, was in Bible college, I took a class, several years of it, and I know you can't tell, but homiletics, the the art of preaching. And and what my professor always said was, if you have to summarize what you've said at the end of your sermon, you haven't done a very good job. And so maybe I haven't done a very good job, but let me just try to make some uh, summary statements. If you're too afraid to speak up for Christ at work or at school or any place else, you would have probably been one of the ones who bowed to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. So this week, would you prove yourself? Find an opportunity to speak up for God, not in an in-your-face way, not to get attention, but just in a very simple, low-key way 
don't be afraid to let people know you're a child of God. Something else that I want to just leave you with to remind you that respect the facts and the logic in a situation, but don't make your decisions based strictly on logic. Make your decision based on God's will. And then your faith needs to be a faith no matter what. God is able, and He will, but if He doesn't, if He doesn't do what you're praying for, don't lose trust in Him. And then the last thing I just want to emphasize, you may never know true intimacy with God until you have gone through the fire with Him. So today, as we all go through the fire of COVID-19, as we experience things we've never experienced before, as our anxiety levels are sometimes off the chart, as we go through this fire, would you just kind of look around? Because I have a sneaking suspicion that the Son of God is right near you. Would you recognize Him? Seek Him and have intimacy with Him. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we want to just thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the story. Lord, this isn't just a fairy tale. Lord, I believe that Your Word actually documents historical people. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, Hebrew names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're Babylonian names. I believe these were real individuals that faced the real fire, but yet they saw the real Jesus that met them in the fire. And I pray, God, that I just pray that you would be close to us. Lord, I know there are some people that are listening that have recently lost a loved one, and it still hurts, and they're going through that fire of loneliness and just sorrow, and I pray that you would come alongside of them, Lord, that they would look around and they would see the Son of God. Lord, I pray that for those who are going through the fire of cancer and dealing with chemo and uncertainty there, that you would just come alongside of them. Father, I pray for those that are in the fire of uncertainty financially because they don't know. They don't know, and the stimulus check will help for a little while, but won't last too long, and I pray, God, that you would just come alongside of them. Father, I pray for those parents right now that are going through the fire, just so burdened for children and grandchildren, where they just pray and pray and weep and weep, and I pray that you would just come alongside of them, and would you answer their prayers? God, I pray that during this season, that we would, whenever we come out of it, and God, whenever we resume, resume services in some fashion, some form here, hopefully in the next few weeks, that, Lord, there would be a new depth about us. There would be something different. It wouldn't be business as usual, but, God, I pray that we would have been refined during this time as we've, Lord, you haven't chosen us to deliver us from the fire yet, but, Lord, that you would deliver us through the fire and that we would be refined and Lord, that you would shape us into godly men and women, and Lord, that whenever we get back in this building, there would be a depth about us, and that there wouldn't be just surface Christianity, but Lord, it would go deep to the core, and so Lord, I just pray that you would help us in Jesus' name, and everybody said, 
Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.